We are delighted to have Randy Newman, the author of a brand new book, Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to help you share your faith. Hello and welcome to Exposit the Word, Randy. Oh, thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, thank you. Tell us everything we need to know about you, Randy, in 60 seconds. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, pressure's <laughs> on. Well, uh, right now I live in uh, Virginia and the U.S., right outside of Washington, D.C. I'm originally from New York. I'm originally from a uh, Jewish background and came to be a believer in Jesus when I was about 20 years old in, uh, in the university, um, reading the Gospel of Matthew, reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and going to a lot of classical music concerts that always enchanted and then disappointed me, uh, were all part of how God uh, drew me uh, to faith. Uh, I'm married to my wonderful wife, Pam, for over 40 years. It's amazing. We have three grown sons, uh, three grandchildren, and that's all I can think of. And it was, but that's less than 60 seconds, I think. Yeah, you've done a good job. I feel like I've known you for 20 years now, Randy. So well done. Very thorough. <laughs> so what draws you to the life and work of C.S. Lewis? Uh, you know, uh, he was recommended to me when I was not a Christian, uh, when I was showing, I guess, some signs of being drawn to the Lord by the Lord. And this friend of mine said, you really ought to read Mere Christianity. And that was when I was still in high school. I was, you know, 17 years old. And I, no, I didn't read it right away. I went off to college. I, I majored in alcohol. Uh, no, no, that, that, no. I, I majored in, in music with a minor, and no, nah, maybe the other way around. Anyway, I thought life was absurd and meaningless. I was having a great time, um, but then, but, but there was this emptiness and a longing and trying to figure things out. And like I said, I, I was a music major. I went to a lot of classical music concerts in downtown Philadelphia to Philadelphia Orchestra, and there was oh, I there was this. I, I thought there was you know I was going to someday hear this one piece of music that was going to just you know be my piece of music. But whenever I found something like that, it would it would dissipate, and the the appeal of it and the the wonder of it would be gone. And um, uh, I, I also thought maybe Judaism was going to draw me to the Lord, but I always felt distant and alien from God, no matter how observant I might have tried to be. So um, after it was kind of a crisis, a friend of mine died in this terrible accident. I uh, took out a New Testament that some Christian friends had given me and I started reading Matthew. And I went to the university library and took out mere Christianity because that was recommended to me. And I think from the very first reading of that, I was hooked and then I've just been reading Lewis ever since. Yeah, wow. Why did you choose the work of C.S. Lewis for a book about evangelism? Uh, well, I, I do have to say, I, I was kind of amazed that there hasn't been a whole lot already written along these lines. There, there are some articles and stuff, but it, lots and lots of people, and myself included, I have written or said, we need to do more pre-evangelism so that when we do evangelism, when we proclaim the gospel, it makes more sense to people. Without doing the prep work, it's just kind of this absurd, crazy idea that some weird people believe. I think that's the way non-Christians hear our message. So lots and lots of people have been saying, I mean, ever since Francis Schaeffer in the 1960s, saying that we need to do pre-evangelism. But 
um, it's hard to find a lot of detailed explanation of what that looks like. What does that mean? How do, how do, what is pre-evangelism? How do we do it? And as I've thought about it, I think Lewis did it better than just about anybody I can think of. And mere Christianity, which, you know, was originally a series of all these radio broadcasts, is some of the best display, I think, of pre-evangelism. Um, he went four or five weeks with these broadcasts before he ever got anywhere near um, talking about the God of the Bible. It was all about, well, how do we know anything and why do we have it uh, built in, so it seems, sense of right and wrong built into us and those kinds of things. So um, I just thought it'd be good for us to study the life and writings of C.S. Lewis which lots and lots of people have already done, but this time from the from the angle of what can we learn about sharing the gospel and preparing the way for sharing the gospel from Lewis? As an evangelist yourself, how do you use pre-evangelism? Well, I want to try to talk to people about the things they're already interested in. I, I want to find out what they're interested in. I want to talk about those topics. And then I want to ask the Lord to work in to help me see where where are his fingerprints on that topic. So if they like photography or art or music or books or politics or business or I, I mean, a million topics. I mean, if God is indeed the Lord over all creation and he is, then there must be some divine imprint on every aspect of life. And so I want to talk to people about that, and I want to try to find where's the intersection between the topic they want to talk about and the topic they don't want to talk about, the gospel, <laughs> and show that those are connected. And so, you know, Lewis did that with literature and beauty. You know, why, why are we drawn Why are we drawn to stories? I mean, that was the thing that worked in Lewis's life. Why? Um, he... he as an atheist, he thought life had no meaning, there was no God, and yet he was drawn to this mythology, and he was drawn to the beauty within there. There's one quote, and I'm really sorry I don't have it memorized, but something like, um, uh, all the things that I thought were imaginary or unreal were beautiful and, and attractive, but all the things that I thought were real were ugly and, and empty. Why? Why is there that contradiction? And so um, that's what I think uh, I want to try to do in this pre-evangelistic effort. Yeah. In your book, you talk about the concept of joy apologetics. Mm. What are they and how can we use them? Oh, yes. Well, um, um, well, and, and I, I've got to go further before Lewis to the scriptures. Um, I'm intrigued with how Jesus talked to the woman at the well about water. And, and he said, uh, wouldn't it be great if you had water that when you drank it, you'd never be thirsty again? Mm. Um, and then um, I think one of the, the, the least explored, but just so profound examples in the book of Acts. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are in this uh, town. And uh, the people think that because they've just done a, a miracle that they should be worshipped. So they start, they start making sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And they say, no, 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 stop that. Don't do it. And in their short little speech in Acts 14, it says that God has not left himself without a witness, but he's given us. And he, he lists things like food and crops and rain and, and joy in your hearts. 
Now he's saying this to a bunch of crazy pagans who are as lost as could possibly be, but he's saying to them, they have joy in their heart and it comes from food and sunshine. And um, that's God's general revelation. And um, we very often try to appeal to people's emptiness and, 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 and their lack of joy. So in, in John 4, with Jesus talking to the woman at the well, he's trying to point out to her that she's thirsty in a way that her relationships, husbands and now the guy she's living with, that those aren't satisfying. So sometimes we appeal to their misery. That's misery-based apologetics. And that's good. We need to do that. But there's a whole bunch of people who don't respond to misery-based apologetics. And we tell them, aren't you empty inside? And they go, no, not really. And they say, aren't you searching for something? And they go, no, I really have everything. I got a good job. I got lots of money. My girlfriend loves me. Um, and we say, well, isn't there a God-shaped vacuum inside of you? They just look at us like, what drug are you on? What, what's your problem? So there's joy-based apologetics where we want to say, isn't life good? Isn't it wonderful when relationships work? Isn't food delicious? And, and then to say, where do you think that comes from? And again, Lewis, Lewis says, um, our mind goes back up the sunbeam to the sun. And that's what we want to do. We want to try to connect, for, for some people, the good things in life to the God who made this world full of good things. Yeah. It's really, really good. A big part of evangelism is dealing with people's objections. How do you handle those, Randy? Oh, well, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm the best example. I, I, the first thought that comes to my mind, how do I handle them? Well, um, haphazardly, sometimes good, sometimes lousy. Um, um, I, I think the important thing is um, to remind ourselves that people are going to have objections. They are. And, and, and those are not bad. I, I think there, sometimes we have a disdain for people who ask questions like, oh, well, if you, if you just believed, you wouldn't be asking those questions. No, it's terrible. No, it's when people are asking questions or raising objections, there's obviously something going on and we want to, to join in that process. Now, granted, excuse me, sometimes people are asking questions and it's just a smokescreen or an attack. And, and we need to be wise about that. And the book of Proverbs has lots of warnings against us about engaging a fool when it's best not to. So, so I mean, you know, all of that caveat acknowledged. Um, when people raise objections, we should, we should try to find a way to, to engage in there with us. And I'm sorry to do a, a promo of another book, but I, I did write this book on asking questions and, and engaging people in asking questions and answering questions with questions and, and involving them in the answering process. So that it's not just, they ask a question, I give an answer. They give, ask a question, I give an answer. It's, it's they say something or ask a question and then we engage in a dialogue that moves back and forth so that we're helping them move perhaps incrementally from unbelief to belief or from ignorance to knowledge. So it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to walk with them along the way from wherever they are closer and closer and closer to the cross. Yeah, yeah, really helpful. Just picking up on something you just said, 
how do you practically deal with that? So you, you mentioned, obviously, sometimes you, you could be in the middle of asking questions to somebody and you then become very aware that they aren't interested and it is a smokescreen. And how do you practically then get out of that conversation? Or what, what do you do there, Randy, at that point? Um, well, again, first, I, I, I don't I don't want this to just be, you know, my my tactic or something. Um, and um, especially because culturally, for me, being being from a Jewish background and being from New York, I hope this isn't crazy for your for your listeners, but but there's a New York Jewish culture which is very argumentative. And so some people might hear this and say, oh, well, you know, he just does that because that's his culture. Um, we, we need to see that Jesus engaged people, but he also knew that there were times when, um, well, we were casting pearls before pigs. Uh, he warned us about it, but he also modeled it. So you remember there's this time when um, he's teaching in the temple and people come and they, they want to trap him. And they say, uh, by whose authority are you doing this? And he said, um, well, let me ask you a question. Um, uh, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Remember this? And, and they, they go and they go, well, well, uh, if we say it was from heaven, he's going to say, then why didn't you believe John? But if, if we say it's from men, well, we'll have a riot on our hands. So they come back and they say, we don't know, yeah. which showed that their question was not sincere. And then Jesus said to them, then neither will I answer you. So, so there are times when we, we need to step back from the question that is asked come and, and look at it and, and say, is, is that a real question? Is, is that a sincere question? Is, is, that, is, that, is that really the question that you want to talk about? Um, or, I mean, if somebody's really being obnoxious to us, I mean, somebody, oh, yeah, so I think you just, you, all you Christians, you think you're the only ones who are going to go to heaven. Well, a little exclusive club. And, I mean, we need to recognize sarcasm, attacks, facial expressions, anger. Um, and, and, and so we need to step back of that, not get trapped in it and say, ooh, um, uh, should we talk about this some other time? It sounds like I've touched a nerve. So uh, the principle is sometimes we need to have a conversation about the conversation, standing outside of it and let's say, oh, that sounds like you're pretty uncomfortable with this. I mean, should we want to talk about something else? And, and I know, you know, we're, we're very reluctant to do that because we feel like, oh no, this is my one opportunity. But but we need to trust in the sovereignty of God enough that sometimes people need to see or they, they need to be confronted with their own insincerity, which will then, I think, if if they're honest about it, might open up the door for some really good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You discuss the tension of the good news, bad news nature of the gospel. How can we use that tension to point people towards Jesus? Mm, yes. And, and again, I think Lewis did this so very, very well in, um, in mere Christianity. And, and it comes up a number of times in the Narnia stories. Um, um, the gospel is uh, the solution to the greatest problem that we have. We're separated from the God who created us. Um, but people have to feel a certain sense of that problem before they want to hear a solution to the problem. So sometimes pre-evangelism or the early parts of proclaiming the gospel 
have got to help people feel that tension or that unresolvedness. So, so, so there's good news in the gospel. The good news is that God uh, created us to know him and he wants us to know him and he has done amazing things to draw us to himself. And, and there's all sorts of good things about knowing this God. But the bad news is we're separated from this God because we're rebels. We've rebelled against him. And so there, there needs to, people need to feel this tension of, wait a minute, so, so God loves me, but I'm alienated from him. Well, so how, how does that get resolved? And it's only then we talk about God himself paying the price um, by dying and atoning for sins to draw us back to him, that the good news really comes across as good news. Otherwise, it's just, it's just for a lot of people, it's inconsequential. Yeah. God loves you. Well, great, cool. Well, I, I, could, I could see why he would. I'm a pretty good person. Uh, no, but you're separated from God. What are, you, like, what are you talking about? Why am I separated from God? Well, because you've sinned. Yeah, but you said that God loves me. So if he loves me, I mean, I, I don't claim to be perfect. That's, it's not a problem for them. And so in an odd way, we have to help people. Um, they have to know it's a problem. <laughs> so we, we have to make their lives miserable first. Before, <laughs> um, not make their lives miserable. That, you, you may want to edit that line out of the interview. I don't know. Um, uh, we... We have to help people realize how bad their state is. Yes. Um, and, and by the way, we must do it with compassion and gentleness. Sometimes I think in evangelism, we think, well, well, the way we do that is by yelling at people and by, you know, calling them horrible sinners and, and, you know, you know, condemning them with an angry tone of voice. And there are a lot of, I'm sorry to say some public evangelists who that sounds like it. I mean, all, the only thing that a non-Christian hears is guy sure sounds angry. I mean, doesn't he have medication for that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. In your book, and you've really touched on it, the importance of conversation in evangelism. How can we sharpen our conversation skills in a way that helps our evangelism? Oh, great. Great. Yes. Well, so um, a, a lot of us, need to develop our conversation skills by talking about a whole ton of other topics other than the gospel. I mean, let's face it. I mean, the, a gospel conversation is difficult for most people. It really is. So don't jump into the pool in the deep end. Become a really good, try to just work on your conversation skills about the weather yeah. or about anything and become, try to become a really good listener. Um, uh, sometimes I do workshops on this, and I do this exercise, uh, sort of a listening exercise. I pair people up, and I, I say, okay, one person is partner A, one person is partner B, and we take some time where partner A talks about whatever, it doesn't matter. The, and, and, and I tell people, please, don't make this psychotherapy. Don't make this so heavy-duty, like, I don't think I had a happy childhood. No, um, you know, just pick something easy to talk about. And then partner B is only allowed to ask questions. Um, and so you're keeping the focus and the attention on the first person. Um, because I say there, there are a lot of conversations that, well, they're not really true dialogues. They're simultaneous monologues. And this person's talking and this person's just waiting until they stop so they could say, oh yeah, me too. And then I tell my story. Yeah. 
but but you 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 listen carefully and you ask questions you try to pursue for wait a minute you you said um well, I, don't, I mean, let's pick something really basic. This person said, well, you know, this morning the weather was was really nice and I, I was surprised. Like, oh, well, why were you surprised? Is, is, is it different than what the weather forecast said? Well, yes, it was. I mean, the guy that I listened to last night said da, 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 da. It's like, oh, well, who, where do you typically get your weather? So instead of saying, oh, yeah, me too, or no, I thought the weather was great, or um, I just came back from vacation and the weather was beautiful. Um, no, it's, you keep the attention there longer. Now, it doesn't mean that you never tell your side or your story. But you work on becoming more of a, let me understand that more deeply. Let me understand what's going on behind the question or the statement. Because sometimes there's a lot of drama going on behind, um, you know, just what someone says. And so we want to become really good listeners and question askers and finding common ground people. And I think that will then pave the way for us having better conversations about the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And when you speak with strangers, how do you typically open up a conversation? <laughs> I, I, I try not to talk to strangers. <laughs> didn't, didn't your mother ever tell you that was bad to do? Um, no, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, so I've written several books on evangelism. So people think I'm one of those bold, outgoing, extroverted evangelists who, you know, every time I get on an airplane, I always talk to the person next to me. I, 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 maybe I shouldn't admit this. I, when I get on airplanes, I put on noise canceling headphones. Um, um, <laughs> so uh, I have to push myself and force myself to engage with strangers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so again, I, I try to find common ground. That's where I want to start. I want to try to find easy places of agreement and sometimes it's just the circumstances that we're in um, um isn't it isn't it a beautiful day or um my the the uh the store seems to be really packed full of new things or so again it's trying to find points of agreement um and then if the situation is right for continuing the conversation will we explore and go deeper um so uh, i don't i don't know if that really uh no, it is, it's, re it's really helpful and I'm, I'm sort of imagining you doing this randy in in real life how do you then overcome rejection so you, you might go up to five or six people try and have conversations and you get brushed off by every single one of them how, how do you develop that thick skin just to keep on going Boy, I, I really hope you're not terribly disappointed or <laughs> I, I haven't developed thick skin. I, I, I don't have thick skin. So what, what I have to try to keep reminding myself, though, is the, the um, well, here, here's the way I say it in a concise way. But my confidence is not in my confidence. My confidence is not in the thickness or thinness of my, of my skin. My confidence is not in how I'm feeling. Uh, my confidence is in the power of the gospel <clears throat> and the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the midst of a conversation in a person's life. Yeah. So if there are times that people reject me and it feels hurtful, so there's two things, is Lord, help me to remember how you think about me. 
And your love for me is so strong. It's so amazing. It's so full. May it be that by comparison, this person's hatred or rejection or insult seems minor. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is, um, Lord, protect me from my anger that might lash out at this person in, in response. Because sometimes a kind and gentle answer turns away wrath. You may have heard that before. It's in Proverbs. So sometimes it's treating person, people with respect and dignity, not because they're behaving well, but because they're a person creating the image of God. So it, it's, it's forcing, reminding myself of the theological truths of God's sovereignty, God's love for me, the acceptance I have in the gospel in Christ, and who that person is made in the image of God. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of uh, uh, like replacing, okay, here, here's the message I'm getting from them. Here's the message I get from scripture about them and this situation. Yeah. So it's a lot of filling our mind with the truth of scripture, which is what your ministry is all about. So yeah. Um, it's that kind of um, uh, reprogramming our mind. Yeah. Romans 12. Yeah. You spoke about pre-evangelism earlier on. I'm wondering, you know, bearing in mind that, you know, there is a supernatural battle going on every time that you go out there to share the gospel with people. How much pre-work do you have to do within yourself in terms of putting on the armor of God to make sure that you are protected? And also, how do you protect yourself after going out speaking with people as well, Randy? Mm, good. Right. So pr before and after. Very, very good. Um, well, I, pardon me. I, I think the preparation is all the time uh, ongoing. It, and, and it's not just preparing for gospel conversations or preparing for evangelism. It's filling my mind with the truth of God's word. It's, it's, uh, putting on and putting off, it's taking every thought captive, it's deepening my relationship with God all the time ongoing so that the specific task of evangelism has all of that prep in the background. And, and all of that prep in the background is not just for evangelism, it's also for um, uh, uh, loving my wife, uh, raising my children, engaging with uh, people, doing my work diligently as unto the Lord. So it's it's not, I mean, yes, there is specific preparation for evangelism by reading good books on apologetics so that we know answers to questions and, you know, practicing, well, how would I articulate the gospel if I only had a minute? So, so yes, there is preparation for evangelism. There's training, but there's the much larger backdrop of growing in grace and um, having the eyes of our heart enlightened so that we know the hope that we have in Christ as prayed in Ephesians 1. So it's all of that kind of preparation so that when people ask us, you know, what's going on in your life? Well, that, that, that's a big part of the backdrop. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you asked about afterwards because afterwards can be uh, a great opportunity for the devil to attack us. Oh, you didn't handle that right. Um, you wimped out. You didn't, you didn't, you backed off. You were a chicken. 
You didn't explain that well. I mean, you can drive yourself crazy afterwards of oh, what I could have said or should have said. Yeah. So, so there's an element of after a conversation of, yeah, I could have done better. Okay. So let me use this now as preparation for the next conversation rather than beating myself up for what a lousy job I did before. And, and then it's also a great time of prayer. Lord, would you take what I said and use it anyway, even though it wasn't perfect and it wasn't even close to perfect. You, this isn't too hard for you to handle, God. I, I very often have to kind of visualize. And again, so C.S. Lewis helps me with imagination. There's a lot of times when I have to imagine I said something or I did something or whatever, and I pray, Lord, would you use it? And I almost have to get this image of God saying to me, oh, no, I, I can work with this. I got this. I uh, I can use that. Yeah, it could have been better. I don't. Yeah, but I, it's okay. I could use this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just touch on that for us because, you know, you, you mentioned imagination play within the book. How does imagination play a role in evangelism? Well, it needs to play a much bigger role than it typically does for most of us. And again, that's what Lewis did um, so many, many times. And so he he created images so that people would not just understand something, but but also have an emotional response. So here's a classic example. There's one place, pretty sure it's in Mere Christianity, where he said, we're not just people who need improvement. We're, we're not just imperfect people who need improvements. We're rebels who need to lay down our arms. Now, just that imagery of rebels laying down their arms. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's only a few words, but it, it, you get the emotion of that. It's a, it's a surrender. And he just had all of these word pictures that again, engage people's imagination. So there, there's one place I, mean, I have this whole long list in the book that was compiled really by Michael Ward. Um, he just, he just did a study of all of the analogies that, that Lewis used and put them together in this one mammoth list, but it's, when Lewis talked about becoming a Christian, um, so here's one. It's, a, it's like stone statues becoming live creatures. And so you just, you just kind of picture that. And you, you could see a stone. See, I'm, I'm envisioning this, this, um, this uh, statue of a lion. And it's starting to move and soften up and grow hair. And it's like, oh, it's alive. Or there's one place where he talks about when, when someone becomes a Christian, it's, it's like they, they're just waking up and they start realizing that they're awake when they had been asleep. Now, we all know that experience. We all know the feel like, oh, that, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, Jesus did that. He said it was, it's like being born again, it's like born again. What would that be like to be born? Oh, oh I, you know. Um, so uh, he said the kingdom of God, it, it's like seed sown and, and it grows and some of them are like this and some plants are like oh we get it. it it engages our imagination so yes we do need to explain sometimes so becoming a christian means saying i realize i've sinned and i can't uh save myself and i need to receive uh forgiveness okay yes yes we, we need to say those things too i'm not saying we shouldn't but um 
I mean, Paul said it, it's like it's like it's like a gift, it's like receiving a gift. What happens? What's it like when you receive a gift? It's like, oh, oh, this is this is wonderful. Oh, someone gave me a gift. Um, so I, I just think we need to think through our own experience of coming to faith and try to think of what what are some some images I could tell somebody about what my experience was like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, or uh, tr just trying to exercise that aspect of our thinking that, that doesn't often get a lot of um, practice. Um, so, so a lot of us, we, we like movies, we like, we like uh, stories, we like reading novels. And so every so often we should just stop and say, okay, what, what imagery is being used there? And what is it doing inside of me? Yeah. Not just what do I understand, but what is it doing? Yeah. And then think of how, how can I use that technique in telling people the good news? Yeah. When teaching evangelism, do you ever use role play as a way of training people? Oh, yes, quite a bit. Uh, and like I said, sometimes it's just basic conversation skills. So, you know, let's talk about anything and yeah, become yeah. better listeners. But then also uh, I do role playing of, okay, let's say you had one minute to tell somebody how you became a Christian. Okay, now first take out a piece of paper, jot down a few things you're going to say, and then practice that. And then, okay, let's say you have only one minute to share the gospel. Well, all right, ready, practice, you know, and, and then and then step back from and evaluate. Well, how did you do? What, you know, what could you do better? Yeah. Um, what is it that you said just now that you should never, ever, ever say again? Yeah. <laughs> Those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, really good. You've been, you've spoken a few times already and it's been so helpful this conversation about, um, you know, rejection. But you've mentioned in the book that there are some kind of pushbacks that can be helpful. Tell us about those, Randy. Right. Um, pushback. Um, I, I hope that that's the right word. I use it a bunch. Um, there are times when, and again, Jesus modeled this for us so very, very well. It, isn't it intriguing, by the way, um, when uh, that rich man came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and, uh, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you just stop the, the frame right there and pause, you think, what a great setup for a gospel presentation. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better straight line. And, and I sometimes think that, you know, the disciples were, Jesus, tell them, come on, you, you couldn't have get a better setup. And so, and what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? And, you know, now the disciples are pulling their hair. Like, well, why, why would you do that? You missed the, you missed the opportunity. What, so, um, so, so sometimes we need to develop muscles of, of gentle, gentle, loving pushback. It's like, no, and, and so it's answering a question with a question is kind of the device. Like, now, why of all the questions that you could have asked me, why did you ask that one? Or sometimes it's acknowledging emotion of that state. It's like, oh, this, this sounds like you're really upset. Um, or someone asks a question, and, and so we maybe engage them in the answering process. This is the kind of pushback of, well, no, well, well what do you think? What, how would you answer that question? What would your answer be? Um, and, and sometimes it's 
and this is this is difficult to do, but we need to be able to recognize it. And we need to point out when somebody is saying something ridiculous. There, there's one place where, and again, this is C.S. Lewis on a live radio broadcast. And these broadcasts were 15 minutes. That's it. Just once a week. I think that's intriguing is they heard a radio broadcast and then they had a whole week to kind of think and mull it over. And then here comes episode number two seven days later and then so he gave them time to digest and there's one episode where he ends with this he said well so what should we say to people who say well i don't want to go to heaven because it'll just be floating on clouds and playing harps now so so lewis and we've heard people say that and we think well that's ridiculous that's that's not a real question they're they're just dismissing us out of hand and so lewis pushes back and said um Again, I wish I had the exact quote, but but um, the response to such people is if they don't know how to read books written for grownups, they shouldn't discuss them. And that was the end of the broadcast. That's it. Thank you, Dr. Lewis. Now we'll return to the BBC orchestra or I, I don't know what that was the end. But so sometimes we need to be able to say, oh, that's a ridiculous. Why are you even asking me that ridiculous question? You're not being real right now. Do you really want to talk about this now again? It, comes a little more easily culturally to me as a New York Jew. Um, I hope your uh, audience will uh, translate to wherever they are Gentile. I don't, I don't know. Um, but uh, we, we just, we need to not be naive and think, oh, I will, I, I, I'll never need to do that. No, if Jesus needed to do it and Paul needed to, we, sh we should realize um, the gospel is so offensive to our sinful nature that some people are just well um in is it in second corinthians to, to some people it's the aroma of life to other people it's the stench of death yeah and they get mad as all get out yeah uh, i i wrote a whole chapter on dealing with anger in my uh, first book questioning evangelism and and the publisher was a little concerned about the way I titled the name of the chapter. It was that the question of evangelism. Well, actually I had a chapter on compassion. And what if, what if I don't care that my neighbor's going to hell? And then the next chapter was the question of anger. What if I really want my neighbor to go to hell? Um, but they, they left it in the book. So I'm glad about <laughs> that. But, but we just need to realize, I mean, look at how angry people got at Jesus. They picked up stones to kill him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it just like horrifying? There's this one phrase and we could read past it as if it's nothing, but so the Pharisees conspired with the Herodians to kill Jesus. These are, those two groups of people were enemies. They hated each other. And yet they said, okay, we hate Jesus so much. We'll even team up with our enemies to try to kill him. Yeah. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised if some of the conversations we get into um, start taking a, a turn where we need to push back. And again, we, we need the Holy Spirit to fill us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, um, so that we can express these things in a way that helps the person, not, not just shuts them up, but helps them move from being stuck in their sin to move toward the Savior. Yeah. We know the word gospel means good news. And as Christians, we know that it's the greatest news ever. What do you do when you've presented the gospel to somebody and they 
turn around to you completely underwhelmed and shrug <laughs> their shoulders and say, so what? Mm, yeah. Um, well, there's a whole bunch of different ways we can respond. So I, I don't, I don't think I have like some set pattern. Um, but, uh, sometimes it's, um, well, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure I expressed this well. I, I, I don't, I don't think I made it clear. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, because if, if, if it's not feeling significant, then I, then I must've misspoken or, Another tactic might be, well, um, maybe this just isn't the right time. You know, I, I wonder if we could talk about this again sometime. Yeah. Or, uh, so by the way, what I'm doing right now is I'm brainstorming possible responses. And that's very, very important. I, I, I try to do this with groups. I, I give them a, a scenario. Now let's come up with a dozen different ways we could respond. Because I think a lot of us get paralyzed with, okay, what's the right thing to say? Uh, so don't don't try to come up with the right thing. Come come up with five or six possible things, and one or two of them are going to be really bad, and some of them are maybe oh that was stupid. I'll never say that. Okay, but but the brainstorming process. So another way to possibly respond is well, you know, if I don't, you know, maybe uh, this is no big deal, but if if there ever comes a time that you want to talk about this, I'd I'd be glad to talk about it. So you just you leave the door open for a future conversation rather than pushing it now and maybe shutting a door to ever having a conversation. Yeah. yeah. What is the main takeaway you hope readers will gain from reading your book? Mm. Thank you. That um, that's a good question. Well, I hope they get this sense that uh, God can use them in an evangelistic process. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of us are intimidated, like, oh, I'm not as brilliant as C.S. Lewis. I could never be C.S. Lewis. No. But what we need to look at is the unlikely side of God choosing to use C.S. Lewis in evangelism the way he did and the way he continues to through his book, uh, books. Um, I mean, he was an academic nerd. Uh, he was a professor who was far more comfortable alone in his study with his books than he was out evangelizing. And look at the way God used him. And, and he knew, Lewis knew he had to translate all of these brilliant ideas he had or other people had to make it understandable to anybody. And, and he worked at it and God used him. So I, I hope the effect for people reading the book is, oh, well, God can use me too. Yeah. And I, I wanna do the best job I can to prepare myself, but I, I can speak out and do things and have conversations and say, Lord, would you please use me in the process? And God does absolutely supernatural things through flawed, mere mortals <laughs> except that lewis said you've never met a mere mortal <laughs> so i wonder if we need to scratch that i i love that lewis says you, you've never met a mere mortal there are no ordinary people so we are not mere mortals um but god uses us and can use us in the lives of anybody else yeah what are some of the best books that you've read over the years that have helped you grow in your faith oh Uh, to help me grow in my faith. 
Uh, I really benefited a lot from John Stott's book, The Cross of Christ. Um, I should have prepared myself for this question. Um, but believe it or not, I, I have gained a tremendous amount of discipleship in my own life by reading and rereading the screw tape letters. Even though it's Lewis telling the story from the side of the demons, uh, he exposes the darkness of my heart mm. and helps me see the contrast of the goodness of the gospel. So yeah. that book has been very, very helpful for me. You know, I just finished reading um, two books that work together by Joe Rigney. I don't know if you know him or yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he's been on the show. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. So he wrote the book, The Things of Earth, and then he wrote a follow up, Strangely Bright. And that just reinforced for me of oh, what, what's the phrase? He quotes someone else, but it's it's enjoying God in everything and enjoying everything in God. Mm. And it's just an expansive view of God's great creation and his goodness and his grace. Um, the, the very first book I read as a new Christian, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, and then I've gone back to it many times, that was very, very formative of thinking rightly about God. You know, Tozer has that great quote of um, what comes to our mind when we think of think about God is the most important thing about us. Yeah. Uh, that that's pretty powerful. Yeah. So yeah. as soon as we're done, I'm going to think of 12 other books that are not coming to my mind right now. And I will say, how could I not mention that? And <laughs> And I will try to send you an addendum. Well, that but, just means that we'd have to have you back on to talk about your other book another time. Randy. Oh, my. Well, that would be fun. <laughs> Randy, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you. It's been such a, a great opportunity for me to um, hear about your new book and to learn lots of things from you. Before you go, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, well, um, Lewis... Uh, this is something I say toward the very, very end of the book. Lewis thought a lot about heaven and what it would be like and what it will be like and, uh, and, and allowed his imagination to go with the images that we have in scripture. And, and so I think that that's important to, uh, for our own longing for heaven and our own growth in compassion for telling people about heaven. So uh, I, I think that that's... Um, something I would encourage people to spend more time on that. That's not escapism. That's understanding this world in light of eternity. Yeah. Yeah. What is the best way for people to follow you on social media, Randy? <laughs> uh, boy, lots of people uh, tell me I need to be doing a whole lot more on that. Um, I, I do have a website um, <clears throat> where sometimes I post blogs. <laughs> it's it's either randydavidnewman.com that's the easiest one to remember and then it's also connectionpoints.us but also uh the c.s lewis institute where i serve has a lot of social media and so that that'll connect people with me and the larger work that we do so i would have people search out cslewisinstitute.org and I think that could be really helpful for them. Okay, great. Well, we're going to make sure that we find the links to those and they'll be in the description wherever you're listening or watching this interview. Plus, we'll have a link to the book as well. Um, Randy, thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks so very, very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm.